Today's story is The Marfa Lights, uh, a longer short story that I wrote a number of years ago and published in a collection called The Marfa Lights and Other Stories. Um, it was inspired by a conversation I had with a coworker. Uh, for some reason, we were talking about names, and I came up with a name um, and uh, decided I needed to write a story with a character with that name, and uh, that was what motivated me to write the Marfa Lights. Um, it doesn't have chapters, so I'm just going to read the first few pages until I find a good stopping point, and we'll go from there. So here we go. The Marfa Lights. Sometimes the name they give you is all wrong. For the first 14 years of my life, I knew this. My parents provided me with a name that had a power that I couldn't possibly fulfill. You're sitting there, reading these words, and wondering, what is his name and what could be so wrong with it? What the hell did your parents do to you? Steve Stevenson? Richard Lessman? Think about it. Got it? Good. It's a joke. God, I hope there's no boy who had to go through life with that name. Life on the playground would have been sheer hell. The truth of the matter, my name at first glance wasn't so bad. Another truth? Although Mama had agreed prior to my birth to the name of Daddy's choice, she absolved herself of any responsibility by dying while giving birth to me. The trauma of my birth also prevented me from living up to the full potential of my name. Cerebral palsy left me wheelchair-bound. While my brain was fully functional, I depended almost entirely on others to take care of me. I failed, utterly failed to live up to what Daddy envisioned with my name. No, he didn't name me George Washington Smith or Long Dog Hammer, nothing so crass as that. Born and raised in the small West Texas town of Marfa, my Daddy came up with a name to reflect his hope for me that I would be as big and bad as he was. It was a phrase that would drive me crazy for a few years of my childhood. Big and bad certainly wasn't something I could ever achieve, as the kids on the playground reminded me. Why, you ain't so big or bad, they would taunt, all shriveled up and helpless. What are you going to do? Hit us with your wheelchair? Come and catch us. Invariably, their taunts would grow worse and their behavior more bold. One of them would push my chair over, spilling my deformed and partially paralyzed body onto the dusty playground of Marfa Elementary. There I would lay until Mrs. Taylor, the playground aide, discovered my predicament and came to my rescue. You poor thing, she would whisper as she picked me up and put me back in my chair. She always stopped for a moment and stroked my hair. Whenever I needed a comforting thought, I would recall those times and could feel her soft touch. As Mrs. Taylor pushed my chair back towards class, she told me that everything would be fine. Even though I knew the bullies would be back, when Mrs. Taylor, with her rhythmic southern accent, soothed my hurt feelings, she almost convinced me that was the last time I would be pushed around, and that life really would get better. Those few brief caresses Mrs. Taylor provided were the only experience I had with the kindness of a female's touch for many years. After a year, a year or two of the playground bullies, Dad, Daddy pulled me out of school. He claimed that he did so to homeschool me, but I didn't get much schooling at home. I sat in my wheelchair watching television with the neighbor lady checking on me and helping me when I needed it. With Mama dead at my birthing, the school's out of the way, 
and daddy having nothing to do with my family, my rearing was done by him and him alone. I look back at that time and marvel at how I survived. Seven, eight, nine years old and tied to a wheelchair. Daddy, gone all day, and the old biddy next door popping in every now and then. More often than not, she stopped at the screen door and hollered into the house. Hun, you okay in there? Just as often I hollered back. Yes, Mrs. Robinson. I wanted nothing to do with her. Unlike Mrs. Taylor, nothing about Mrs. Robinson comforted me. Her voice grated and chafed. When I admitted to some need that Mrs. Robinson had to address and she came inside to help me, she moved me about with such roughness I imagined my bones breaking and my muscles tearing. Better to starve or swim in a puddle of my own piss than to have Mrs. Robinson in. Better to sit in our front room with the drapes open to my right and the television on in the corner so I could drown in its reality when I tired of watching cars go by and the sun cross the sky. When Daddy got home and saw me in my condition, he would pick me up in his strong arms, clean me and feed me and tell me stories. For a few hours, everything felt good and I forgot the misery of the day. When I finally tell you the name my father gave me, you'll probably wonder what the big deal is. Well, that isn't so bad, you'll probably say out loud. What's the big deal? Your daddy could have called you a stinker. There's much worse than that. Why, I thought you were going to be something horrible like Hawk E. Puck or Harry Crack, you'll say. You'll consider putting down the story with a sigh and conclude that it isn't worth reading anymore. That's why I need to tell you, to make sure you understand the dilemma of my name before I give it to you. It isn't necessarily the name that was so wrong. No, what I understood to be the idea behind the name created expectations that I couldn't possibly live up to. One night when I was seven or eight, as Daddy turned to walk out of my room after laying me down in bed and pulling the cover up to my chin, I asked him, Daddy, what do you do all day? Go to work. You know that. But what do you do? He hesitated for a moment before answering. I do what every man in West Texas does. I work with my hands. What do you mean? What do you do with your hands? I was at the age when I never hesitated to ask the question on my mind. The five W's and the H were my friends. Daddy turned back to me with a sigh and returned to the chair that he left by my bedside. If somebody needs a road, I help lay the asphalt. If somebody needs a barn, I help raise the walls. A field needs to be plowed, I plow it. Warming up to the task of describing his work, he continued on. You know how the church burned down a couple of years ago? I don't remember, I said in puzzlement. Well, maybe you were a baby. Anyway, after it burned down, I worked for months on rebuilding it. Me and a couple other guys put our time into that. He put his hands on his knees and leaned just a little towards me. That's what I do. I use my hands. I build things that need to be built. He stood up and kissed me on the forehead. Now, no more questions. Good night. Daddy was a tough SOB too. He didn't hesitate to let somebody know just how tough. He liked the feel of his rock-hard fists crunching into the face of somebody who looked the wrong way at him. 
He had no problem with leaving some guy who offended him lying in a heap. Or at least that's what he told me. Several nights a week, he left me to himself. He left, he left me to myself and wandered the streets and bars of our little town. When he came home, Daddy sat in the chair next to my bed and while rubbing my back and mussing my hair, told me of the night's events. Well, I was at the good luck tonight, he would drawl, referring to the good luck bar down the street and a couple of blocks over. We lived in a rough part of town, and Daddy didn't have to go far to find trouble. You can guess what happened. You bet I could. Who'd you get tonight, Daddy? I'd ask. You know that Carson fella, the one I mentioned a week or so ago? He farms south of town on his parents' old piece of land and thinks he's hotter than a girl in a short skirt out on the town on a Saturday night. Carson's parents had died a few years ago in an accident and left in their farm. He struggled to keep it going. Yeah, of course I remembered. How could I forget anybody my daddy told me about? Once he described a man to me, an image formed in my head, locked there forever. Carson? Scrawny kid, not much thicker than a couple of pieces of corrugated cardboard stuck together. His shirt rested on his shoulders like a rumpled shirt on a hanger waiting for an iron. An unruly mop of hair that may or may not have housed a couple of small animals covered his head. According to Daddy, Carson had a nervous habit of constantly hitching his pants up. He'd be talking to some other fellow and he'd bring the heels of his hands to the waist of his jeans and push them up on his hips just a bit. And a few seconds later, he'd do it again. I was sitting there at the bar, drinking my beer, when he came in and sat down next to me. Daddy paused there for a moment for effect. Now, do you think I asked him to join me? Of course not. You're right. I was enjoying the peace and quiet. I wasn't looking for any company. I'm sorry, Daddy. Well, it ain't your fault, son. He just sat down and started yapping at me. Before you know it, he asked me to buy him a beer. Again, he stopped for a moment. Can you believe it? He asked me to buy him a beer. In his world, there was nothing worse than asking for charity. You didn't ask somebody for help. You didn't ask for a handout. You never had the right to expect something for free. He raised me on his own. Daddy didn't need to ask anybody for help, and he sneered at those who depended on others. What did you do? I asked, knowing what was coming. I popped him one, right there, sitting on his stool looking at me like I owed him something. It was sad. I hope you never have to ask a man for a favor like that. Laying on my stomach, I looked out the corner of my eye at him in the light of the full moon coming in my window. I could see the set look on his face and a flicker of light in his eyes. That little sparkle told me everything I needed to know. Daddy enjoyed telling me the story just as much as I liked hearing it. He dropped like the sad old sack of potatoes he is. All 120 pounds of them just dropped to the floor. Hell, when he hit, he bounced, and I almost wanted to drop, drop kick him as he settled back down. But I didn't. That one shot was all it took. Of course, after that happened, old Joe behind the bar wasn't none too happy. What'd he do? Ah, oh, nothing more than ask me to leave. He didn't name me after a flower, call me rabbit, or name me after a season. Daddy provided me with a name that reflected his truest hopes for me, that I would be as big and bad as him, if not more so. In his mind, only one thing was bigger and badder than him. Are you ready for it? Here it comes.
My daddy named me after the great state of Texas. Daddy firmly believed in the myth of Texas. Native born, lifelong resident of the greatest state in the Union. The Lone Star State, home of the Alamo, where everything was bigger, smarter, and prettier than anywhere else. The yellow rose of Texas, more yellow than any rose found anywhere else on good old planet Earth. The prettiest women the world over couldn't hold a candle to the most common of Texas women. Yes, I proudly sported the name. Even with all of the ridicule and pain at the hands of the kids at school, Texas Blaylock, that's me. Because my daddy was a hard ass with a cold heart and wanted me to be just like him. These were the things I believed in until the summer of my 14th year. July 12th is seared into my memory. He went out that night and never came back. His body splattered across the pavement, just a block from home by a drunk driver. The life he had constructed for me fell apart like a sandcastle washed away by the flowing tide. Daddy didn't expect to be out late, so he left me in my chair in front of the television. I fell asleep there, waiting to hear of his, ex his exploits. Awakened in the morning by a knock at the door, it took me a moment to understand why I still sat in my wheelchair. Texas, the woman on the other side of the screen asked after I had powered my electric wheelchair over to the front door. I could just barely open the door with the heel of my right hand pressed against the doorknob. Yeah, I squinted out at her. The harsh early morning sun blinding me and silhouetting her so her features were blacked out. Honey, she whispered, can I come in? Who are you? I'm your aunt, Aunt Tessa. Huh? I'm your daddy's sister. It's been a long time since you've seen me. You were nothing but a baby back then. My eyes having adjusted to the glare, I could see her a little better. Something about her struck a chord of familiarity, but I couldn't place her in any specific memory that I had. Can I come in? She repeated. Sure. I moved my chair backwards to provide her the space to enter the house. My newfound Aunt Tessa pulled the screen door open and slid past me. She sat down on the old sofa, full of tears and patches, and motioned me to come closer. Texas, your daddy's, well, he's, he's dead. What are you talking about? He can't be dead. He is. There was an accident last night. No, he isn't. There must be a mistake, I screamed at her. Who the, who the hell are you anyway? Texas, listen to me. No, get out of this house. I don't even know you. Get out. And that's where I'm going to leave this. Hopefully you like what you heard and maybe you'll buy the book and read the story. Anyway, thanks for listening.